Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. We're at 2012 or 2012, whatever, I don't know. My guest for this episode is Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. How well do you remember 2012? Uh, very well, actually. Better than I remember 2022, 2021. <laughs> Funny <laughs> and, how that and works. All of the last five years, I think. I think, yeah, I think 2012 is, or 2013 is probably mm. about the time that, like, my recall for football starts, That when things really start to, like, uh, blend into one. Mm. I think, you know, I hit 30 in 2014. I think that's where, like, things start to get, things start to go a bit wrong. Uh, memory wise so like 2012 is still like quite clear in my mind all right well look we're going to go through some of the incidents and stories from that particular year we don't have to do it in any chronological order so where are you starting uh, I am going to start actually chronologically um, okay. just because I, I guess one of the reasons I chose 2012, I mean, there's, as we'll go through, there's a lot that happened at Arsenal in 2012. But just from a personal perspective, I kind of joined Twitter in early 2011. And I feel like the 20, certainly the 2011, 2012 season was the first real kind of season where social media had like a real impact on like a real tangible impact, mm. not just in terms of how people experience matches and the discourse around football, but I actually started to go to games with people I'd met on Twitter um, and things like that. And so it, it felt quite poignant um, in that respect. So I'm going to start right at the beginning in January 2012 because um, I, I'm not sure how well people will remember this game. We, we played away at Swansea City. Um, in January 2012, and we actually we lost the game 3-2. Um, but it was the first game I ever went to with my wife. Right. Uh, and uh, that, that weekend was actually the first time we ever met in person because we spoke online for a little while because she's an Arsenal fan as well. But mm. that was the first game we, we went to together. Um, and, and yeah, and that, that's, I guess, when we started our relationship, actually. So we've recently just passed 10 years um, and so that's like that's obviously had a very very material impact on on well both of our lives and we have a child and everything now so yeah like January 2012 yeah. having already started the season kind of going to games with people I you know mm. strangers I'd met on the internet <laughs> um, I you know ended up marrying um, someone <laughs> who I was speaking to on the internet yeah. so. Well, I mean, congratulations uh, on the milestone and the uh, recent arrival and everything else. I mean, it's it's a long way. I remember 
the very first time I ever met somebody um, off the internet uh, from Arsblog. Um, we met in Barcelona for a for a pint, and he'd been in touch. And back then, it was very much like stranger danger. You never know who yeah, anyone yeah, yeah. is online. You could <laughs> you could end up being groomed and killed or whatever. But obviously, <laughs> things are a little bit different now. And that's you know, it is a it is such a ubiquitous part of football fandom nowadays yep. and I mean we had it you know on our blog down the years we would have our meet- meetings and people would go to games together and drink in the pubs together but it was you know you had to be sort of part of the community in one way either on the, the arses or the forum or whatever it is but but of course as soon as it becomes Twitter it's it's much more public isn't it anyone can yep. kind of jump in and say oh I know where those guys are going I'll just I'll just yeah. go along and, and I'd point people towards um, there's there's again from years ago. Uh, Barney Rone wrote an article in the Blizzard um, about Euro 2012 because he wrote it from the perspective of he felt it was the first international tournament that was properly experienced mm. through social media. Obviously, Twitter existed for the World Cup 2010, but not you know not mm. nearly as big a thing. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it really felt like, to me, 2012 really felt like the kick-starting of social media and, and football really meshing together Yeah, um, in that way, certainly for me personally anyway. I'm looking at that um, Swansea game now, Swansea 3, Arsenal 2. I mean, it's an interesting-looking Arsenal lineup. Um, Ignacy Mikel started the game, but I'm looking at the Swansea team and going, how'd you lose to them? How'd you lose to that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's I believe the- Danny Graham um, yeah. was playing. He might have even scored in that He game. did. He scored the winner, it looks like, a minute after Theo Walcott equalised. I, I always think that's one of the the things we kind of forget is the, 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 the level at Premier League is so high, really, even though some players are terrible. You know, all down the years, you look at Arsenal teams on paper and you say, they should just wipe the floor with them, but you end up yep. losing 4-2 to Charlton or something. You know, it's yeah, kind yeah, of mad. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of mad. All right, what's next? So, um, I, I guess staying maybe in the in the chrono well actually this this happened slightly before this happened the week before obviously in january 2012 we had uh we re-signed thierry Henry mm. um from new york red bulls which at, at the time i understood it was that arsenal wanted to bring the podolsky signing forward they needed a striker um thank the lord that hasn't happened again since in january <laughs> um they couldn't bring the podolsky signing forward because Coloma were in a relegation battle um, and so they brought in Thierry Henry on mm. loan from New York Red Bulls for um, six weeks to kind of plug a gap. And I remember at the time, I might even have written about it on Ask Blog. I was like, this is a bad idea. This is just a really bad idea <laughs> because it's not the same Thierry Henry and it's going to be a real anticlimax. It's going to be really disappointing. He's probably not going to do very much. And, you know, it might not sort of like he's he's done too much to like soil the memory, mm. really. Like that wasn't going to happen. Sure. But it just kind of felt like, oh, we're going to place all our hopes and dreams and our expectations on him. And it's just not going to happen. Um, and I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the Leeds goal. But like even he got an injury time winner at Sunderland mm. um, in his last, uh, his second to last game, his last Premier League game, which was, which was just you know, absolutely stunning um, moment. And, you know, to my shame, Sunderland away, it's a long old journey. You start quite early. I 
And so I started quite early, um, shall we say, and I remember <laughs> nothing about that game whatsoever except that goal. Except the um, goal, okay. Yeah, yeah. And when I when I watched the highlights back the next day, I was like, I didn't I didn't even remember that Aaron Ramsey had scored the equaliser. I didn't remember it at all. Complete blackout. Right. I remember on rescoring, and I remember you walk over um, a bridge um, to get back to Sunderland Station. I remember us all just dancing over that bridge singing the Thierry Henry song. But obviously everyone remembers the goal against Leeds, him coming on as a sub, scoring the winner with the most archetypal Thierry Henry goal ever. And I think if you held a poll on the greatest ever nights at the Emirates in the 16 years it's been open, Mm. I I think that and the Barcelona game, which personally holds very little um, affection for me whatsoever, um, but that's just me. But but the Omri moment, I think, might come out on top. Yeah, um, and and it was just it just it it was a real kind of explosion. I remember after that thinking, right, it it almost doesn't matter what he does now. Like it just doesn't matter if he has six or seven games where he stinks the place out. Doesn't matter because we've had this moment. And from a personal perspective, again, I had. Um, my sister uh, was next to me in the stadium. She um, she was a season ticket holder next to me at that point, but she was uh, she was carrying my niece, and uh, she was not long away, about another two months away from giving birth. And around this time, she was like, "Right, obviously, I'm not going to be able to go much longer. I don't know which to make my last game though." And as <laughs> soon as we came out the stadium that night, she just said. That, that's the one. That's where I want it to end. I thought you were going to say she went into labour. No, not quite, <laughs> not quite. But yeah, she just said, no, this is my last game. Like, yeah. th- that doesn't get topped. No. Um, certainly not in the next month. And and, and, and again, that, like, just had a re- that was a really nice, yeah, I agree with you. That's what I would do. Like, mm. th- this, this is your, you know, your resignation, as it were, uh, from the season ticket. So, you know, an, an extra kind of... Um, a bit for me um, in there as well. But yeah, just a huge, brilliant memory, I think, for all Arsenal fans. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird. It's one of the great things about football that a 1-0 win over Leeds in the FA Cup in a season when, did we go out? Not in the next round, but the round, round after. against Sunderland. Sunderland, Jesus Christ. You know, that uh, the FA Cup obviously wasn't a thing that season, but that one game, a third round game at home, the goal, the moment, the celebration, just the fact that he'd come on as a sub and Arsenal had struggled to find a goal and it, he scored it the way that he did, you know, to come back as a fan. I think the fan, the the reaction of fans inside the ground, outside the ground, those of us watching on TV as well, was so informed by the way he reacted to it as well because he spoke yeah. afterwards, didn't he? And, and Tayo did the the amazing piece that you can find on Ars blog as well. But... Um, you know, that, that sense that he was coming back as a fan and scoring for mm. the club that he supported. Yeah, I mean, look, he's kind of living the dream that we all have. Yeah, he said something afterwards about how he just sat down in his kit and his boots in the dressing room <laughs> for about an hour mm. afterwards, just like, yeah, just like like a fan would. Yeah. Um, I think, and the way he celebrated and the way the players celebrated with him as well, I think everyone recognised the enormity of that goal. And mm. when you watch it back, you can really see, like, when he controls the ball, like a real, like, slow motion moment for everyone where they're like, hang on, I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I know where this ball is going. And um, Including yeah, the just, keeper. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And just, and you know, Arsenal had like quite a lot of young players in the team that night. So like Chesney hadn't been there that long. Uh, Alex Song set him up. You know, he was still quite a young player. So mm. like, not. I don't think any of the players that he actually played with originally were there. But like when you watch the celebration, they all get it. Like mm. Chesney goes and runs to him from you know from his own goal, and yeah. and you know players like that um, who who weren't there first time, but absolutely recognise the legacy of this guy. And a lot of them, there's probably either consciously or subconsciously, on, like Omri kind of, you know, as as a brand increased Arsenal. I think as a brand, and that that resonates with footballers. And I think quite a few of them probably, you know, like I said, consciously or subconsciously, when they came to Arsenal, oh, this is the club of Henri. Yeah. Um, and therefore, this is like a big major club that I want to play for. And you could see that, that they all got it as well. And I, yeah, just a, just a lovely moment. Yeah. Amazing, amazing memory. Right. Where are we going next? So um, there were quite a lot of kind of crazy score lines during 2012. I'm going to do that in two sections. Right. Because we beat Spurs 5-2 twice yeah. <laughs> in 2012 uh... at home. So there was the game in February. I think the February game was the better one because if I remember correctly, I think Spurs were seven points clear of Arsenal and they went 2-0 up mm. in the first half. And I remember the second they went 2-0 up, I was like, well, this is over. We're going to finish below Spurs. We're at like, I, I kind of resigned in my head. Mm. And, and it's just a game full of such brilliant moments like the Sanya header. Yeah. You know, Rizitsky's goals as well. Walcott. Um, Walcott scoring the most Walcott goal ever where he completely miscontrols the ball um, but then beautifully chips the goalkeeper yeah. in one movement. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just remember having a really good drink mm. that night and it just felt like such a pivotal game because if we'd lost it, it was all over. But then we were four points behind and we'd just beaten them and you sensed the momentum and you just really sensed that something had swung Mm. Um, with that result in the in the kind of sometimes you just think yeah that that's this is the beginning this is where it begins and and so that that was a good one but then we beat them five two in November two thousand and twelve which was um, not a game as well remembered um, I don't think again um, very personally poignant for me um, people might remember um, an article I wrote that it was in the the week building up to this. Um, one of the guys I used to go to away games with, Greg, um, he, he sadly died a couple of weeks before this. Um, and, and I wrote about it on the blog. And um, and this was the day of his funeral. So we went directly from his funeral to Arsenal Spurs and won 5-2 again. And and again, just mm. like that that personal poignance, like the game, because of the, the kind of stage of the season it was at, obviously it's always good fun to beat Spurs 5-2. It didn't quite feel like the February one where it felt like a really pivotal moment in the season. But yeah. Again, like personally poignant uh, for me and my friends as well. And again, we, we enjoyed that kind of in a different way um, afterwards as well. So like 2012 beating Spurs 5-2, both times you play them at home, pretty decent. Pretty decent. And like that was the game, I think that Adi Bayor uh, scored the opening goal, then got sent off. Yes. Um, which, you know, 
adds to the enjoyment that you have on occasions like this, above and beyond beating Spurs 5-2, which is, you know, always uh, great fun. But when you have like a cartoon pantomime villain kind of character like Adi Bayor, as he, ha- as he became, you know, yep. having been at Man City to do what he did at Man City then... Did he go to Real Madrid before he came to Spurs um, or he was there for half a season or something like that? He was there on loan, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then he went to Spurs. Yeah, so, you know, you you do what you do for Man City, then you join Spurs. And William Gallas was playing for Spurs that day as well. Yep. So, you know, all kinds of fun. All kinds of fun. <laughs> Plenty to enjoy. Mm. But so so we had the two five twos against Spurs, but there were quite a few kind of crazy score lines during two thousand and twelve because mm. Arsenal had this weird thing where for a lot of it they either had Van Persie for the first half of it. We'll come on to the mm. fact that they didn't have him for the second half of it afterwards. But then at the beginning of twelve thirteen they had this kind of Walcott uh Podolsky Giroud forward line which had this really weird thing where they'd either go goal crazy or not score at all <laughs> so I, I think during 12-13 Arsenal were in double figures for games they didn't score in but still scored quite a lot of goals so I mean everyone surely remembers the 7-5 against Reading um in the League Cup in October 2012 I mean what a game what I mean yeah 4-0 down yeah, I, I I didn't see that game live. Um, I was at I was playing football. I think it was a Tuesday night. It was, so I yeah, was yeah. playing football. My my Astro League was you know on a Tuesday night. We were playing maybe at eight o'clock or half eight something like that. And by the time we were going on to the pitch, Arsenal were four nil down, and it was like, what the fuck is going on? And then we sort of got half time, and then it was like okay, they've maybe got a chance that you scored and got a few. And then, like, it was crazy. We were on our phones after the game watching and driving home and trying to keep up with it. And that it was just an insane game of football. It, it really, really was. In terms of value for money, that, uh, the ticket because tickets are often cheaper in the League yeah. Cup, my ticket was £15 that night. Pound a goal, um, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not only that, because I got into the ground about 15 minutes late because... Um, like there'd been a like Reading's ground is awful. It's in the middle of the motorway, and there'd been like a crash or something. And and I walked in just as Reading scored, so I didn't actually miss any of the goals. So I got like a hundred and five minutes for fifteen quid and twelve goals. Oh god! And uh and and some like some lovely kind of um you know some lovely like other story. Like it looked at the end like I don't know if people remember the equaliser to make it four four. But it looked like Carl Jenkinson had scored it. Oh, yeah, first, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was cleared off the line and Walcott got it. But we yeah. all thought that Jenkinson had scored, which just like <laughs> kind of added to it. Um, I believe Walcott got a hat-trick that night, actually. He did, yeah, yeah. And then like Shamak scored, which drew like, a you know, the chance of how shit must you be. Shamak scored twice. Um, Wasn't there which- some mad stuff as well where like when the equaliser went in at the end of... A normal time, Giroud and maybe yep, Coquelin gave their shirts into the crowd. the crowd thinking that was it. It was going to be a replay and they had to go get them back because, uh, hang on, guys, there's another half an hour here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like pure amateur mm. hour stuff. Um, and and I know quite a lot of people who left, quite a lot of Arsenal fans who left at 4-0. Mm. Uh, and I know a group of guys who watched the comeback in a pub in Paddington because <laughs> <laughs> they'd buggered off home um, early. But yeah. again, like to your point about the Leeds game, right? A, a third round tie on a Monday night. Like th- I think this was a fourth round tie. Yeah. Like a League Cup fourth round tie on a Tuesday night away at Reading. Like 
who would ever have that as one of the most memorable games ever? But there, there, there were other like big scorelines. I think we beat Southampton 6-1 at the beginning of that season as well. Mm. And then the last game of 2012, another Walcott hat-trick, we beat Newcastle 7-3. Um, and, and I think that just shows you at that point kind of what a chaotic team Arsenal were, mm. um, where Wenger kept putting together quite good like quite good post-Invincibles teams, which then get ripped apart because yeah. a big player goes or something and then he has to start again. And you get these like, you know, really like chaotic attacks like the one I just mentioned and throw Jovino in there as well and Marouane Shamak and players like that and, you know, real ghosts from the past mm. um, that, that we don't talk about much. Yossi Benayoun on loan, who was, who was great, like, I think Thomas Rosicki was great at this point as well. Um, I think Aaron Ramsey was just beginning to turn into a really top-class player at this point, and Arteta. It's it's just I just think it's a, a really um, a really fascinating time in like the Wenger Arsenal timeline. Mm. For me, just before it started to turn a bit sour, um, if you know what I mean, like when Arsenal were you know not as good as they used to be, but actually a really exciting team still somehow yeah and I, a bit chaotic I, I you know I looked at some of the the results in the games from 2012 and I know there's maybe a you know it's 10 years ago and everything else but I do wonder how collectively we would we would have got through a year like this with some of the results that we had and some of the performances because was this not the year of the Bradford game Yep. Um, you know, going out to Bradford and everyone's going crazy. And then there was the Champions League game against AC Milan, mm. losing 4-1 or 4-0 in the, in the first leg, which is just kind of shambolic. And in the second leg, 3-0 at halftime and probably should have been 4-0 because Van Persie tried that little, that little chip finish, which, you know, in hindsight, I don't think we can necessarily blame a player no. who scored that many goals. If he's feeling confident enough to try that, I guess you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. It, it actually wasn't really the wrong thing to do, I mm. don't think, because the goalkeeper was down. Uh, Abiati, I think it was. It, it's actually a really, really good save because he reads it and it's not mm. an easy thing to read. He reads it and he sticks his arm up and gets it. And and actually, I do think like ninety five percent of the time that would have worked. Yeah. To be honest, so it, it's you know, and he was going down, and I can see like the thought process in Van Persie is like, oh, he's going down, so I'll lift it over him. It's just he had the presence of mind to flip his hand in the air. But yeah, yeah that like that that AC Milan tie, like again, I, you know, I went out to Milan for the first leg, just absolutely mad and. <laughs> Yeah, and then the second leg, um, you know, going 3-0 up at half-time, but then, like, Milan just really closed it out in the second half. So, like, lots of just really, you know, madcap kind of games. Mm. Um, and, and, and I guess that's kind of where I want to go next. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, maybe not a madcap game, but an incredibly tense game at West Brom. <laughs> Uh, the last game yeah. of the May of the 2011-12 season where we've got Spurs on our tails and we have to win basically to get, well, to get third place mm. in the end because Tottenham did get fourth. And then, of course, the bad thing happened and Chelsea won the Champions League. Um, so, like, it had to be third. And yeah. given, like, how shambolically we started that season with the 8-2 at Old Trafford and, 
you know, losing at Blackburn and things. I think we're in the bottom three in like mid-September, a bit similar to this season. Mm. And we somehow came back and finished third. But yeah, that West Brom game, me, me and my men, mates, for you know, for some reason decided to go in fancy dress. Um, <laughs> and we went up to Birmingham the night before and we were all incredibly hungover, which I don't think helped really, no. given like the level of nausea and anxiety, I think would have been enough on its own anyway. Um, I actually went to the game dressed as Pat Rice. That was my costume. So I was wearing shorts, um, the training shirt with PR right. uh, emblazoned on it, the sunglasses, glasses, um, and yeah. everything, because that was Pat Rice's last game. Um, and of course, the, the enduring image, possibly of that whole season, of stoppage time when it's three-two to Arsenal, and Arsene Wenger just collapses onto Pat Rice's bosom. That was yeah. Was that the the Kieran Gibbs? Yes. block in the box. I mean, just to set the scene for that towards the end of the season, uh, Arsenal lost 2-1 to Wigan, then drew 0-0 with Chelsea at home, drew 1-1 with Stoke, probably were a few minutes away from beating Norwich, if I remember, and Norwich got a late equaliser. Yes. And so, you know, those final um, games going into, yeah, you know, yeah, there was Queen's Park Rangers a couple of weeks um, before that as well. So a lot of drop points in the final stage of the season, which made that game just so incredibly tense. And Yeah, and I mean, we, we went 1-0 up against West Brom quite early. Um, and you kind of thought, oh, okay, this is going to be all right. And then West Brom immediately hit back with two goals. And Shane think, oh, Long. Jesus Christ. And then Andre Santos equalises. And then, of course, um, at the end, we're, we're done a bit of a solid by, uh, I think it was Radek Czerny um, in goal for West Brom, ex-Spurs um, goalkeeper, who, who I believe sadly died a couple of years ago, um, for, for Lauren Koscielny to score the winner. And, of course, he, he repeated that trick a season later. But... Mm. Yeah, the the last 10 minutes of that game, I just remember um, my mate Chris, who we lovingly referred to as Sweden, um, oh, yeah. who, who you, you might remember quite a character. I do, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember like he was in the row in front of me and he spent the last five minutes on his knees, like facing, like turning away from the pitch just with his head in his hands. And he was just like, I, I can't watch. I can't watch anymore. And of course, like the Gibbs blocked happened. And from what I remember, he wasn't watching and I had to explain to him what had just happened. <laughs> he was like, what, what, what's gone on? And I was like, they really nearly scored, but Kieran Gibbs blocked it. And, and yeah, and, and it was, just, it was one of those. And also what I remember about that was, of course, that's the day that Man City, you know, the whole Aguero won the league thing. Yeah. And, and like none of us gave a shit. It, like it, it took a couple of hours for any of us to like, to properly digest what had happened um, in the league title race because we were so consumed mm. with with what we were doing. It wasn't until we were on the train home and we were like, oh, shit, City won it in the last minute and we started getting the clips on our phones and stuff, but like none of us cared. And I've just got this real memory of um, of all of us walking out of the Hawthorns. Like one of my mates dressed as Vincent Vega from um, <laughs> Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Um, my mate Ricky dressed as Mr. T., um, someone as a thunderbird, and we're all just looking emotionally drained. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine just sort of pale faces, gaunt. You know yeah. that thousand yard stare of the man returning from war. Yeah, it was returning from war, dressed as like Where's Wally. Um, <laughs> you know, it was it was it was quite the scene. But yeah, like I, I, 
in the end, like a, a wonderful kind of end to what was a, a pretty interesting season. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was. And I, I remember how tense that game was and that image of, of Arsene, Arsene Wenger sort of, as you say, collapsed into the bosom of Pat Rice, the sturdy, <laughs> calming bosom of Pat Rice, um, who retired then, as you said, at the end of that season, was replaced by uh, Steve Bold as Arsene's assistant. But yeah, it was just unbelievably, unbelievably tense. Yeah. I, and I, who hasn't, who hasn't, in, in one time or other in life, just wanted to collapse into the bosom of Pat Rice? Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, how comforting there. would that have been over the last couple of years? <laughs> Quite a lot, I would say. I suppose we do have to talk about uh, your yeah, man, the worst don't we? Loss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't have done this last. Really, should have done the West Brom game last. But yes, of course, in uh, August 2012, uh, Robin Van Persie leaves Arsenal for Manchester United, mm. and I, I think just everyone's worst fears realised. I think most of us had made peace with the idea that he was going, mm. but there was a lot of talk about Juventus. And then I think the man knew stuff from memory seemed to develop quite late. And then it was a kind of man United want him, but Arsenal really want him to go to Juventus. Mm, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, the player doesn't want to go there. And then I remember we, we had what we now know is the, like the usual stuff. He didn't go on the preseason tour and he released this stupid fucking statement. You which, guys, you guys. Yeah, which to me is guys. just the word. I'm sure that if you spoke to him privately now, I'm sure he regrets that statement a bit. It's like, look, mm. you're going to Manchester United. Just do it. Like, don't leave a stupid statement. And, you know, he said some stuff. Far be it from me to stick up for Ivan Gazidis, but he said some stuff about Ivan Gazidis is on holiday, and which, which was bollocks. Um, you know, just because the man was in America doesn't mean he was on holiday. Mm. Um, and, it, and it was real. And, and I think it's one of those where he really thought, oh, this will get the fans on side. And, and it just didn't. I think it just really yeah. kind of backfired as a PR move. It might have helped him get the transfer. I don't know, but which might have been the point. But yeah, obviously that was... Um, that was an incredibly painful process. And just on like a, the, the worst bit about it for me was that he released that statement on a Thursday and I'd already written my column for that week. What a fucking inconsiderate bastard he was. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then I was like, right. And it was like, I think it was like during Euro 2012. So I was just It was like, in July. Right. Yeah, he released the statement in, yeah. in July. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, right, I've got to rewrite that now before like five o'clock. So... Yeah, and and it was it, again. We all kind of knew what was coming, but I don't think any of us had really, even if we thought he was going to United. Mm. Like, I remember what his debut. I think he made his debut for them against Everton, and seeing him wearing that shirt, and and then of course we went and played them at Old Trafford in November, and the predictable thing happened, and we were dreadful, and we lost, and it was just like. Oh, was that the Andre Santos shirt moment? Or, yes, yeah. yes, it was. Um, and again, Van Persie, I think, completely stitched up uh, Andre Santos there. You know, maybe Santos yeah. should have known better, but um, is the done thing in Brazil to swap shirts at halftime? That's how it happens. So I can forgive him for mm. not really knowing. Um, the custom here is more like, you know, go and do it in the tunnel afterwards where no one can see kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, just, just that, that one probably hurt most people the most i know a lot of people would say sesk but sesk at least went where we thought he would go 
Yeah, where and, he had like an attachment. Yeah, and it wasn't in our league. Yeah. <laughs> in in more ways than one, not in our league. Yeah. Um and, and I think like with Sesk, I think that he probably in his mind was thinking, maybe I'll stay till at Arsenal till I'm twenty seven, twenty eight. But that Barca team at that time mm. was too strong a draw for him. And I think he probably did it earlier than he intended. Whereas with like Van Persen, there's just no dressing it up, is there? There's no dressing up what it meant for us, what it meant for our status yeah. and how how bad it was. I mean, in retrospect, United only got that one season out of him. I mean, it was enough to win them the league, yeah. which was painful enough. But in retrospect, actually giving him a new contract probably would have been a really bad idea because we'd have been, you know, we'd have given him like an Abami. It would have been an Abamyang thing. We'd have given him a big four-year deal. We'd yeah. have got one year out of him and we'd have been sitting there going, what the fuck with this guy for the next three years? Yeah, but- I remember someone saying to me at the time, you know, because it's one of those that it was, it was hard to rationalise. And like my instinct is always like, if a player like that wants to go to Man United, even if you know when he released his statement saying, "You guys, it's I want you guys to know what's going on, you guys," you know, and he said he had a meeting with Gazidis and Wenger, and there was some talk about crazy demands that he was making, uh, whether it was for transfers or whatever it might be. You know, my instinct is when a player is saying, I, I want to go to Man United, I want to leave to go to, it's like, fuck you, fuck you. Mm. You know, even though it's possible to see, okay, well, maybe he wants things to be better. Maybe he wants some better signings. Maybe he wants better players in the team. And, and I think we can identify with that as fans as well. But I also think that's kind of an easy thing for a player to hide behind, to say publicly, all I want is for this team to improve and for us all to win together. When in reality, the machinations of a move were going on for quite some time. Um, yep. So, you know, that statement was, uh, you know, it didn't win him uh, any fans, um, as painful as that departure was. And then didn't he say the thing about, what was it? The little boy inside, inside. me. Yeah. The little boy inside me always <laughs> wanted to go to Man United. But I was coming back to a point where somebody had said to me at the time, you know, as difficult a decision as that was for for Arsenal to make, that Arsene Wenger reckoned Van Persie had 18 months max yeah. left at the very, very top level. And I think he was proven right in that regard. You know, he did yeah. have that great season for United. He did have... A good summer tour was it that was that year the Euros or Euro the World 2012. Cup? Well, um, yeah, so he was really good then, yeah. in that. Didn't he score an amazing goal or something in that? And then, you know, he did have that period for United, but fell off the cliff really, really quickly. Um, it's a good job we've used that as a warning for other yeah. <laughs> decisions we've but made. The the thing that interests me about the summer of 2012, actually, is how much like the chronology of what you do in the transfer market has an effect on how people feel about mm. a window because we obviously saw it coming, right? Because we got our three big signings done really early. Yeah. Like Podolsky was done. Giroud um, was done quite Giroud early. Giroud was done and Cazorla was done. Like they, Giroud, uh, Podolsky was announced, like, I think even before the end of the season. Yeah, that was announced. that's for sure, yeah. Giroud was announced like two days after France went out of the Euros and Cazorla was announced like two days after Spain went out. Hmm. So it was like they were clearly done. 
And that I remember everyone feeling like, wow, we've got Cazorla. Like, this is amazing. Like, I don't think people knew too much about Giroud, but mm. like getting Cazorla felt like this. And, and it was like a massive signing, really great signing. And But then, of course, like the Van Persie thing came afterwards mm. and that made everyone feel bad. Whereas, and, that, and that's like the sensible way to do it. A bit yeah. like Aston Villa did Jack Grealish last summer. Yeah. But it, people would feel differently about it if like Van Persie goes in May and then we sign the three players. You think, oh, okay, those, that's all right. We've done something quite proactive here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, just like just a, a pretty crazy summer um, as well, albeit the one before we'd lost Nasri and Fabregas. And, you know, and then after this, we had all the Walcott yeah. uh, contract stuff and he didn't sign till January 2013. So like this kind of the period, I'd, I guess I'd bookend it between like um, – the summer of 2011 and the trolley dash and mm. all of that running right through to signing Meza Ozil, that kind of two years just feels like it was an absolute whirlwind. It really does. Yeah, I think it was in many ways. And, you know, players and fans questioning where we were going, what we were doing, completely understandable given everything that was happened. I do think it's quite funny. You know, we... we uh, now these days worry about Arsenal's ability to sell players and sell players well. But I think we sold Carlos Vela to Real Sociedad for around 10 million. Yeah, and also, yeah. And also got 15 million plus for Alex Song to Barcelona, yeah. which is a deal, which still to this day, I have no idea. Um, Maybe that was the first signs of Barcelona's footballing dementia, if you know what I mean. I was going to say, like, yeah, th- th- you can see why they're in trouble. Can't you? <laughs> All right. Well, look, plenty um, to have looked back on. And thank you very much indeed uh, for doing that with us, Tim. 2012 was the year. Tim Stillman, thanks very much. My pleasure as always. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto, at Stilberto. He writes and podcasts about Arsenal women over on Arsblog News, and you can find his long-running Arsenal column on arsblog.com every single week. So check that out as well. Right, there you go. That's another one in the can. Join us for the next one. Thank you for listening to this one and all the others, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.